you go look at Matthew chapter 28. I thought I'd really throw a curveball on some of you. Is I preach out of Leviticus and think you never expected that one. We'll ever see that one coming. Uh, as I was reading through the accounts of the resurrection, uh, I was reminded that no one expected this. And just so we're clear when we read this, there was no Easter. Those who came to the tomb that morning weren't thinking in terms of, oh, I know this story. There, there was no resurrection story. No one expected what we're about to read. That's what makes it absolutely incredible. We'll read the first ten verses. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, came to look at the grave. Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled upon the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, his garment as white as stone. The guards shook for fear of him. He came like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come, see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to get out. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. And they departed quickly to the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran and reported to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take, my, take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. Let's pray. Our Lord, we stand in awe of what we need. A death conqueror. One who was dead and buried. Who the angels came and proclaimed. He's not here anymore. He's alive. And Lord, this room represented our many lives, many ages, many walks of life, many circumstances faced. And Lord, I'm so, so grateful. Because that Easter changed everything. And that you have a word for us for right now, right here, in this moment. Because your resurrection still speaks. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I worked with a man named Lewis some years ago when I used to work in a veneer factory. Lewis and I worked close to each other all day. Ten-hour shifts. It was Lewis and I. And uh, obviously when you work that long with someone, you get to know him. And, and we had some conversations, and somehow throughout the process, the name Jesus and the conversation about Jesus came up. I wonder how that happened. But we began to talk about Jesus a little bit. He had a ton of questions. I mean, he had questions about everything. Hey, now what about the dinosaurs? What about this? What about that? Noah's Ark, man, if you really believe that. So we talked about all these things, and whenever it came to Jesus, he got a little uncomfortable. Like most people do when you get to Jesus because he's the game changer. And uh, one of the conversations I remember finally, after months and months of conversations and getting to know Lewis, we've known each other well enough 
this. I mean, what is really the cream that rises to the top? What is it I need to really grab a hold of out of all the things we talked about? I thought of what Paul said. What is of first importance is this. That Christ died, was buried, and three days rose from the dead. Lewis, that's what really matters. This morning we're talking about what really, really matters. Matter of fact, God was so concerned we wouldn't go through history and in the year 2015, wonder if the resurrection really took place. I encourage you to look at the historical documentation of the resurrection. It would blow you away. Even non-Christian scholars can't refute the fact that there's historical evidence for an empty tomb by a man named Jesus. It's so crucial, the Apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. He says we're despicable liars. Our faith is in vain. We're still in our sins. We're dead Christians. We have no hope. And we're to be pitied more than all men. But the resurrection is true. And because it's true, it's changed everything. You see, Easter, when all said and done, shows us who Jesus is, who he said he was. And he's the resurrection and the life. And as we look at who Jesus appeared to, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, to some other women, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Simon Peter, disciples without Thomas, disciples with Thomas, some by the Sea of Galilee, some 500 believers, his brother James, and 11 at the Ascension. He appeared to a lot of different people, and in each of the cases, no one expected it. It's the incumbent. Matter of fact, I think if we were to pull them on Saturday, they say, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think Jesus will come back? Most of them probably would say, I don't think so, even though he predicted it already. We don't have anything in the text which indicates these guys are saying, man, I can't wait to see him when he rises. No. Remember, they're cowering together, kind of hiding in a room. But there's this remarkable, overwhelming evidence. And part of the evidence, not only history, but is the change in the lives of his disciples and followers. Just like Mary Jo shared the life that changes her life. I want to consider the effect of the resurrection. I want us to look at a couple verses that talk about it and see what truths we can extract from it. But, but I want to do so with this idea. You may be going through life right now. You might be 10 years old. You might be 70, 80 years old. You could be with a house full of kids right now. There's a lot of us who are just kind of having it on that pilot. We're just trying to get through the day and get to the next day and get to the next day. To be honest, life's kind of stale, if you were honest. There are others who, you know, I I come here this morning and I, I really need to change my life. I need I need a fresh start, really. I love donuts. Right, Wendy? I mean I love donuts. But don't give me a day old donut, please. I want a fresh one. I mean, who wants to eat a boat anchor? I mean, give me something with glaze and a fresh donut, now we'll talk. Because some about a stale donut is say cut. And some of you, I hope, are sick of your stale life and say, I want something fresh. 
I want something invigorating in my life. I don't know what's missing, like my friend Lewis. Follow these accounts. They still speak to us. One of the persons Jesus appeared to was a woman named Mary Magdalene. The resurrection sure changed her life. Hers is a remarkable story. The Gospel of Luke tells us of a great salvation. That this Mary, as Luke tells us, from her when Jesus encountered her and touched her life, seven demons came out of her. Hers is a great salvation. She followed Jesus from that point on. She ministered to Jesus at the cross. She did not expect it empty too. Her conclusion is reasonable, isn't it? Someone took the body. And let's be honest, we wouldn't have probably called that anything better either. And Mark 16, 8 says, when she heard that he was gone, fear gripped her. Fear gripped her. Because all of a sudden, nothing made sense anymore. He's gone. It's, it's one thing to try to come to grips with loss of someone she followed, one who changed her whole life, but now the fear of, what does this mean to me? John 20, though, gives us a little insight into what was going on. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she went, wept, she stood and looked at the tomb, and she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and recognized him. She heard, his, she heard her name. With panic settling in, with anxiety beginning to build, she heard her name, Mary. And no one said her name like Jesus. And no one says your name like Jesus. And she heard it. She encountered the risen Lord, and it changed everything. I thought about her. I thought about the anxiety she must have felt, and that sense of panic that can creep in to a life. I thought of the panic that we face, the anxiety we face, maybe it's about the future, children, finances, anxiety for a whole myriad of things. And anxiety and fear can imprison us. And you know what it does? It creates tentative living. It creates stale living. But not for Mary anymore. Everything changed. She needed a fresh start from anxiety and panic. And she needed a fresh start. She came to the tomb. If you need a fresh start from your anxiety, if you need a fresh start from your fear, come to the tomb. The resurrected Christ can change it. He can change anything. Verse 18, and John said to the disciples, Mary went, she said, I see the Lord. He's alive. By implication, he 
he's alive and everything's changed, guys. You gotta see this. I hope you're tired of your prison of fear. I hope you're tired of your anxiety. If you are coming to see. Wasn't just Mary Magdalene. This guy named Peter. Mark 16, 7, the angel says to the woman, after they find the empty tomb, they say, Go, go tell the disciples. And you know what the Bible's answer? The angel added, and Peter. How would you like to be singled out of the Bible? Go tell those guys, and you. Why? Why would Peter be singled out? You ever fail? You ever fail miserably? You ever deny Jesus three times at the moment when Jesus probably needed the support the most? Peter did. We get an overview from Scripture. This is a stubborn man. He's a quick-tempered man. But in this particular case, at this particular time, he's feeling a huge state of failure. I'm sure he laid in bed, recounting each of the denials. Replaying, oh, I wish I would have just said this. You ever do that? You ever replay in your mind and said, I wish I would have done this instead? Now I'm loaded with this guilt, with this shame. You let Jesus down. You ever feel like you let God down? You ever feel like you let your parents down? Your friends? Maybe your children? Yourself? See, one thing about failure is it dogs us. And it can occupy much of our thoughts. And it's easy to get locked up in failure. Peter was locked up. It's like it almost rendered him paralyzed to do anything. We don't just confess failure to God, only not three times, but in our case, seven, eight, twenty times we failed God. And I hope, like me, you're tired of being defeated. I hope you can understand in the story this morning that failure is not the last word. But the resurrected Christ can change your life. He's good at changing the life of failures. That's Peter's testimony. Matter of fact, so great is what Jesus does in Peter's life. John 21 tells us a story. Because what do you do when you fail? Don't, don't you usually go back and do what you always do? Well, that's what Peter did. He went fishing. That's all Peter knew. At least that was the one thing in his life maybe he didn't feel like a failure. He's back fishing. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up on shore. And he realizes it's Jesus. Well, John starts rowing back. Peter says, I'm not even going to wait for that. He jumps in. He swims. An amazing thing takes place. Jesus cooks breakfast. That, that was good. Huh? There, Jesus cooks breakfast. That'd be good. And, and so Jesus cooks some breakfast. They're at shore, and Jesus does something so compassionate, so amazing. He restores Peter. And he says, Peter, I got a job for you. You can't tell me Peter didn't stop and think, wait a minute. I just blew it. Big time. Three times. And now you're telling me you got a job for me? I'm a failure. Surely you can't use a failure. 
And Jesus does something gracious as he asks Jesus three times, do you love me, to in a sense to trump the three times Jesus, or Peter failed him. Isn't that kind of Jesus? You see, Jesus wants to take you no matter how many times you may fail. Not only give you a new life, but a new call. A new purpose. He's one who says to you and I today, you could have a relationship with me, or risen Lord, and I can make a comeback possible. You see, it's not just Mary, though. The Bible doesn't tell us it's not just Peter. It's a guy named John. John loved Jesus. Matter of fact, he's probably the closest person to Jesus as he walked the earth. We're told in John 20, verse 8, the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, which we know is John, entered then also. He saw and believed. That was it. He saw and he believed. I thought about John. You ever lose someone close to you? Loved one died or a friend? Maybe a spouse walked out? A child walked away? It's kind of hard to bounce back, isn't it? Hard to bounce back from someone you love. You used to eat dinner with a table set for two and now there's only one plate. A child used to tuck in bed and kiss and hug and no longer there. It's hard to bounce back loss. You see, John had come to the cross to say goodbye. He's the only disciple at the cross. The rest of them kept their distance. But we're told that he looked and he believed. And seeing the Lord caused him to rejoice. And the resurrection changed everything in John's life to change his sorrow to joy. Death to life. Hopelessness to hope. Easter changed everything. It changes how you and I view death. The risen Christ brings hope and a future assurance even in loss. The loss of someone dying is a relationship with Christ. It's no longer goodbye. It's we'll be together again. So final words to my dad when he died a couple years ago. He was already gone, but I, I had to say it. But I didn't say goodbye. I said, Dad, I'll see you. I'll probably see you soon. The resurrection is the only thing that gives you and I hope in a funeral. Because the resurrection changes everything. He is risen. And one day, so will you and I. Because the graveyard is now a toll booth. It's not the end. Makes me think about the Bible. It's not just Mary Magdalene. It's not just Peter and John. And Mary Magdalene tells us how you and I can recover from fear and anxiety. Peter talks about how to recover from failure. John from loss. And we get this guy named Thomas. He's the Eeyore of the disciples. Tells us when Jesus appeared to the disciples first, Thomas isn't even there. He's isolated himself. You see, to Thomas every day Saturday. It's when doubts creep in. Did I just follow this Messiah, this guy who just proclaimed he was the answer to the world, he was the way of truth and life? Thomas must have thought, did I just waste my time? He's dead. Doubt creeps in. 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I just know we all doubt. We all have questions. Just like Mary Jo shared, all the stuff that's coming to her life. And she's had to deal with the questions, but so do you and I. It seems they come and take us to the limits of our understanding. Why would God do this? It doesn't make sense. We've asked and said those things. But I want you to consider what Thomas doubted. He doubted God's promise, because Jesus promised he rise from the dead. He doubted God's power. He doubted Jesus could pull it off. And when you doubt, when I doubt, we often doubt those areas. We doubt his promises, we doubt his power. But Jesus promised he rose from the dead. He did rise from the dead. And now we have resurrection power in our life we didn't have before. And what does that deal with? Doubt. It deals with the doubt of life. The resurrection gave Thomas a new start. It changed everything. It changed his doubt to worship, his doubt to wonder. Amazing account in John 20, 24 to 28. He worshiped him. You see, the death conqueror deserves worship. Do you need your doubt changed? Have you begun to doubt his power or his presence to change your situation? I'm here to tell you the resurrection power has no limits. Come to the tomb. He cares. And he conquers. There's another one that I'm going to make sure I hunt down in heaven and talk to this guy. His name's James. He's Jesus' brother. How would you like to have been the brother of Jesus? I mean, talk about a golden child. I mean, how do you live up to that? There was ever a tussle who's fallen. No greater. James grew up with him. And you know the amazing thing about James? He did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. I think about it. As a kid growing up, you got a brother claiming to be Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the promised one. He got laughed at. He probably got choked about. Where's the brother of yours, that Messiah? Can you imagine that? I'm sure James said, I don't know, he's crazy. Whatever he could to kind of elude the jokes. But here's James. What an amazing dynamic. I'm sure he noticed how different Jesus was than the other kids. But again, when Jesus began claiming he's Messiah, well, made him the butt of jokes. I played in the backyard with him. I played catch with him. We ran. We worked in a carpenter shop together. He's dead. The scriptures tell us specifically he appeared to James. Could you imagine that moment? Could you imagine? He's alive. I don't know what went through James' mind, but that had to be an amazing moment when all the confusion in life, disillusionment in James' life became crystal clear the moment he saw the risen Lord. Life can be a mess, it's strange. 
I don't know why there are all these wars going on. I don't know why people could be so evil. I do know this. One day it will be clear. When we see him. Just like it was in James' life. The book of Thessalonians tells us there's coming a day when you and I will encounter the risen Lord. And in that moment, all the things that we wonder about, all the questions, all the doubts, all the concerns, all the things that we so stress ourselves out about, all the things we wonder about, we won't be concerned with any of that because when Jesus comes, there's one thing, one thing only the text says we'll marvel at. Him. Everything will become clear. Because of the resurrection, it changes everything. It will clear all the fog away. Because one day we have eternal hope. Because without Jesus, life's just a series of dark crises and a powerless life. I can tell you about the Emmaus disciples. They leave Jesus. They leave Jerusalem because there's nothing there for them anymore. Nothing but a memory of a has-been Messiah and a cruel death he faced. Luke 24 tells us the account of these two guys are talking. Wonder what the heck just happened. What's going on? Stranger comes alongside him. Love the story. Jesus asks him a question. What's going on? You guys are so bummed. I'm paraphrasing. He said, haven't you heard about what's going on in Jerusalem? Which is a funny thought, asking Jesus that. And uh, Jesus said, kind of tell me about this. We hope that he would have been the Messiah. We're told beginning with Moses, Jesus gave a Bible class. Wouldn't that have been a great class then? And he told him beginning with Moses all that the Bible said about himself. They get to their home and amazed disciples invite him in. It wasn't until they invited them in that they recognized it. You see, Easter's beauty is that Jesus will come into your world and he brings a promise of power and a glorious future. Jesus conquered death, sin, and the grave, and he can comfort and he can change your life. He can change your fear. He can change your failures. He can change your grief. He can change your doubt. He can change your disillusionment your hopelessness. Only He can change it. Because only the resurrection brings the power to change it. In John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Then he asked, what are the women with him this? Do you believe this? Do you believe it? His name was George. I got a phone call from a friend of mine many years ago, and she said, Matt, I really need you. There's a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, George, and he's dying. I don't think he knows Jesus. Could you talk to him? She said, I think you need to come now. I said, oh, okay. I came there, and George was laying in bed. He's hooked up on oxygen. And you can tell he labored just to get a breath. And I'm thinking, how's this going to work? So I thought, we're running out of time. I climbed to bed with George, looked at him face to face, and said, George, we don't have a lot of time, do we? 
something. Without Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. And I don't have time to sugarcoat this, George. Jesus Christ has made a way for you to spend eternity with him. But you're a sinner, George. You understand that. I said, George, you need Jesus. He's the only one who can save you from your sin. Do you understand that, George? He tried so hard to get the words out and he got them out. Yes. The Bible says, George, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins from all unrighteousness. George, the Bible says you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. George, you have no hope right now. Jesus is your only hope. Are you hearing me, George? Would you like to give Jesus Christ your life, George? With tears running down his eyes, and mine, by the way, I led him into a prayer to decide to trust Jesus Christ. And I said, George, here's the promise of the Bible. This is the testimony, George. He who has a son is life. George, I don't know if you're going to quit breathing in five seconds or five hours. But based upon the promise of Scripture, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. George, I'm going to see you again. George, do you believe this? Hugged him and left. Sure enough, early the next morning, George had passed. I'm here to tell you the only reason I can share that, the only reason I know I'll see George again, the only reason we know loved ones who are in Christ will be with Christ forever is because of the resurrection. That's why we celebrate this. It's our hope, it's your hope. And I want to say to you, like I said to George some years ago, do you know him? If you don't know him, you have no hope. You have no hope for eternity. You have no hope to conquer the doubts, the failures, the disillusionment in your life. But Jesus Christ has come, and he's changed everything. He wants to change your life and mine. But you and I need to come to a point where we confess we're lost. Sinners who need saved. This morning you can do that. I want to give you that opportunity. Watch you follow her. This morning as you bow your head, you're honestly looking in your heart. You might be thinking, I don't, I don't think I know this Jesus. You can invite him in your life. Just like the amazed disciples. They invite him in and experience his rich presence. You see, Jesus is calling you not to a religion, but to a relationship with himself. But you need to know your sin has placed you in dire straits. It separated you from God. 
It carries the penalty of eternal death and eternal separation. But Jesus is made away by his death and his resurrection. If you'd like to place your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, I invite you to say this prayer, not to me, but to him. It's all about you and him right now in your life. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner, and I desperately need you. I thank you that you died, and I thank you that you've risen from the dead, and I thank you that you can change my life and change my future. Based upon the promise of Scripture, that if I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in my heart that God raised me from the dead, I will be saved. By faith, I thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Lord, for those who sit here this morning who have placed their faith in you, but as we consider the persons this morning, they really resonate with one of them and they're struggling. <coughs> Help them to see you this morning as a God who has no limits, as a God who's all powerful and can change their life. And might they take steps of faith to trust your power, not their wisdom, not their abilities, but to lay it all on your feet and say, Jesus, live through me, live in me. Thank you.